0: the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read verses 32 through 39. What a powerful message. I love that. I just love that. That song speaks to me. I hope it spoke to you that he's the God of the breakthrough. I found there were times in my life when I had hit a wall, i have reached the end, I'd run out of resources. I had nobody to turn to. But then I ran to God. And God can make a way where there is no way. God can open doors where the doors were closed. God can change people's minds that before had told me there's no way this could happen. And that's the God we serve. And we just need to learn to trust him. I mean, that's it. We just need to learn to trust Him. If we'll trust Him, He'll come through for us every time. I've been excited. I can't wait to come preach this message today. It's a message I'm entitled, Confidence and Endurance. And you'll understand more when we read the text. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Really pay attention, if you would, to verse 35 to the end. Therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. Now let me pause here. I'm going to start the sermon, the message with the beginning of this verse, and I hope to end this message with the end of this verse. It has great reward. For you have need of endurance. Why? So that after you have done the will of God, you just do what God says to do. Do what God tells you to do. Don't do anything else. After that, you may receive the promise. What's the promise? For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Anybody in this house believe Jesus is coming back? Now, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's God speaking. Then the writer says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition. But we are in the group of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Can you say amen to the powerful word of God today? Amen. You can be seated. I want to ask you a question at the beginning of this sermon, this message, and I'd like to see hands raised in response. How many of you experienced um, some kind of persecution, uh, immediate persecution for your faith in Christ as soon as you were born again. Let me see your hand. Anybody in the house? Just hold it up real high. So quite a few of you, that, as soon as you got saved, I mean, I'm talking about within 24, 48 hours, so you guys experience, you can put your hand down, you experience persecution. All right, let's just do this. How many of you here this morning say, I'm saved, I'm born again? I mean, at some point in my life or points in my life, Pastor, I have been persecuted for my faith. Let me see your hand. I've got my hand up. Okay, that's that's a lot of us, just, just about a, a bunch of us, way, way the vast majority. You can put your hands down. Well, the reason I ask you that is because you probably picked up on this when we read the text. The recipients of the letter we call Hebrews evidently suffered intense persecution when they first came to Christ. Uh, they put up with reproaches and mocking and tough times. Why? Because they had made a decision that they were going to live for Jesus, okay? And, and what seems to be evident is when that happened, they didn't quit, they didn't go running back to sin, they never quit on God, they endured. They said, he's done too much for me for me to go back into sin. I'm going to live for Jesus. Okay, then evidently a new wave of persecution was hitting these folks. And so the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. A lot of people think it's Paul. We don't know. Sounds a lot like Paul, so I'm just going to call him the writer of Hebrews. But the writer of Hebrews said, you know, like a good pastor, I need to encourage these people. And so his message to them was very simple. His, his message was don't cast away your confidence in God. Hang on to it. You endured last time, and you made it through. You need to endure again. Stick it out, and you'll get through this. And so I want to say to you today, so that you understand the, 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 the thrust behind this preaching today, the motivation, what's, what's compelling me is this. I want you to grab this, that confidence in the Lord and endurance for the Lord are two essential qualities that every follower of Christ must possess. You've got to have your confidence in the Lord, and then you've got to endure. Now, what am I talking about? Confidence is what you believe. It's what you stand for. It's your Trust in God. It's your reliance on God. It's it's your dependency on God for your salvation. It's it's your dependency on God's word. You trust God and His Word and, and what it says. It's what you know is the God's truth, so much so that you will speak boldly and frankly and tell it to anyone. If somebody says you're saved, are you a Christian? Yes. I am saved, I'm born again, God washed my sins away, I serve Jesus, I have no intentions of doing anything else, this is the way it is. Do you believe right is right and wrong is wrong and sin should, yes, I believe sin is something you shouldn't do, certain, yes, I can list sins, that's right, if the Bible says it's sin, it's sin. See what I'm saying? You say, I didn't believe, it. well, yeah, but what about, doesn't matter what anybody else says, this is the way it is. Acts 4.31 is a good example of confidence. In spite of being threatened by the Jewish authorities, the early church prayed and the power of God came on them and they spoke the word of God everywhere to whoever they talked to with courage and confidence. They were not ambivalent, they were not ashamed, they were not afraid. That's the way we're supposed to be. See, that's what I'm talking about. And then endurance, what is that? That, That's persevering in what you believe that's persevering in what you stand for it's not like I believe this today but then three days from now I'm not so much I'm not so sure I believe on this no three days later you still believe it you believe it more than ever before and three years later you say oh yeah I'm more I'm more convinced than ever before 30 years later he's absolutely what I believe 30 years ago I'm still believe it today that's endurance It's being steadfast in the faith regardless of external pressures and threats to your faith. It's refusing to give in. It's refusing to give up. It's determination to press on regardless. I love sports. I love athletics. Spent yesterday watching college football. I love college football and watching the rivalry games and played sports growing up. And this word that we have endurance actually in the Greek language comes from the field of athletics. And what it literally means is that you don't go under, but that you come out on top, that you win. And if you're a wrestler and you get underneath the other wrestler, then you're in trouble because that means he's pinning you to the mat. You're going to lose. But if you're on top of him and you're pinning him to the mat, then it means you're winning. And that's what God says is the destiny for the children of God. If we'll just stay with our confidence, we'll endure, then eventually we'll come out on top. How many know God didn't call us to be a bunch of losers? Come on, somebody, you've been destined, destined to be a winner. So here's what I'm just coming here today with a simple truth. Don't ever throw away your confidence in Jesus as your Savior. Ever. Stick with the Lord. Always stay true to him. Always stay true to what you know and what you believe about Jesus and the Bible and your salvation because there are forces that will try to get you to wad it up like a piece of trash and throw your confidence in God, throw it away. The first one is the enemy. We all know the devil and there is a devil. He is not just the personification of evil. No, he's a real person and he has minions and they're the enemies, the arch enemies of your soul. And the devil will tempt you, tempt you, to desert what you believe, what you know is true about Jesus. He did this with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's so interesting. They stopped looking to God for the answers, and they started looking to a tree for answers. Stopped looking to God for life, and they started looking to a tree for life. And when you desert and ditch God and the things of God and the things you've been taught about God that you know are true because they come from the Word of God, and you start running to this world and human philosophies and ideologies and concepts and societal norms, and you run to those things to look for life and look for answers, you better watch it because you're ditching your faith. Go to church all you want, you've ditched your faith. Wear a silver cross on a chain around your neck, you've ditched your faith. What if Adam and Eve would not have cast away their confidence in God? What if they'd told the devil to beat it? I preach this for years, and I love to talk about Genesis because I love to say this. I've always said if Adam was a southern boy, he would have pulled out his shotgun, shot the snake, dumped it out somewhere, and he'd have got the McCullough chainsaw out and he'd have chopped it, cut that tree down, and burned it for firewood. Come on, y'all, all the southern men said. Amen, that's what we show the men to do. Shoot the snake, cut down the tree. Honey, I got firewood. The Lord showed back up. What happened to the tree of knowledge, good and evil? Cut it down, chopped it up. We're burning it in the fireplace. Now that's endurance, right? We'd be living in paradise. They would have been sin free. Listen, it is imperative that you refuse to succumb to the lies of the devil no matter who he speaks through. The second force is going to try, try, try hard to get you to, to stop believing in Jesus or, start, or even water down what you believe is the world. And the world, rep- is, it's, and that's a biblical concept, but the world is just this world system that is controlled by the devil and is anti-Christ and anti-God and everything that has to do with Jesus. Non-believers want you to embrace Their humanistic ideologies at the expense of your biblical truth. They they don't care. They they don't care about what you believe. They just want you to accept what they believe. Okay? And 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 then they and replace it. Replace what you believe with what they have. The world will attack and assail your faith in this. I, I think it's pitiful that schools demand our children forget creationism and then ask them to embrace. The theory of evolution. And I stress the word theory. And the big bang, theory. And if y'all, I I pastor a smart church. If y'all just go spend a little bit of time and go study it, it takes more faith to believe in those than it does to believe in God. I'm an educated man, so I can say that. It does. It takes more faith to believe in those than it does to trust God in the Bible. But our kids... Can't talk about it in school, but they're forced to accept that that is the norm, that those are the answers. Anytime you remove God, you you just don't have a vacuum that stays empty. Something's going to suck into it. And humanistic answers and ideologies have sucked into that, and now we're teaching it in our school. Co-workers will laugh at you and ridicule you for your faith in Christ. Society and the media will scoff at your Bible. And pressure you to allow them to dictate your moral standard. They want to tell you what's right. They want to tell you what's wrong. It's amazing. Everything that we say is wrong, they want to make it right. And the things that we say are right and what you should do, they think that's wrong. You shouldn't make anybody do it. Or, Or it shouldn't be a norm. But you've got to know what you believe. Come on now. What is right, come on, right is right and wrong is wrong. You can't have opposing and equal truths. It's not you can't have it. It's impossible. Somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong. Well, you say, how do you know who's right and who's wrong? Well, if you got God on your side, I think that tips the scale. You get a divine being on your side. And bear with me while I rant. Hollywood and Madison Avenue bombard you and your children and my grandchildren with scenes of homosexuality and immorality and adultery and fornication from TV screens to movie screens to Disney to commercials. And I'm just going to rant here, and I'm going to give caveats so that I don't seem bombastic or mean, all right? And people are watching, and people say, you're a homophobe. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to snatch, I'm going to do like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I'm going to pull all the teeth out of the abominable snowman right now. So all you can do is gum me. I love God, and I love people. And I love everybody. I, you may be a sinner, you may be a saint, but I lo- I'm like Jesus. I love everybody. So you call me a homophobe all you want. It's not going to stick with me because I know I've I've had homosexuals that are my friends. I've had people with my friends that were cheating on their wives. They were my friends. But let me tell you, I never approved of what they did. They knew I didn't approve of what they did. I can love people, but I can hate your sin. Don't try to paint me in a box. It ain't going to work. Label me all you want to, but I know my heart. And by the way, we preachers seem to pick out those three. But if you're cheating, if you're stealing, if you're lying, you're just as bad as a homosexual or an adulterer or a fornicator. Sin is sin in my book and in God's book. It's wrong. Wrong is wrong. You're just as bad. But I'm so sick and tired of having to watch commercials with two men or two women holding hands and kissing each other and buying rings from K's jewelers for God knows whatever reason. And I'm sorry that society thinks it's okay. And I'm sorry for my children and grandchildren that they made laws of the land that say they can get married. But I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. The Bible says that you get married as a man and a woman and that's it. It says it's an abomination to God. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying this is what I believe and I'm sick and tired of having to get flaunted in my face. But, that just means I have to change the channel. But my kids are having to grow up with this, my grandkids rather, and your children. And the problem is they get blasted with it and bombarded with it. And if you don't watch it, they get desensitized until they think it's just normal. And, you know, you may say, Pastor, aren't you afraid people are going to say something? Why do you want to say it? if somebody's If this is being recorded and somebody watches it, why do you want to attack me? You get to believe what you want to believe. You get to put whatever you want on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. Why can't I place what thus says the Lord? Why can't I say what I believe? I'm going to say what I believe. You say what you believe. Don't attack me. I don't come running after you to troll you. I don't understand it. Unless there's a viciousness on your end that's, that's mean-spirited, then who's the person that's wrong? But you and the world are not going to change my mind because I love Jesus. He saved me. You didn't save me. Jesus saved me. You don't make my life better. Jesus makes my life better. You don't tell me what's right or wrong. Only God's word tells me what's right or wrong. We have to teach our children because you are the only voice in the ears of your kids. devil will try to give you, keep, get you to lose your confidence in God and compromise. The world system will. And sometimes life's experiences will become so heavy and so intense that you will begin to think, maybe God's not real. Maybe I need to, and you'll start compromising. I'll give you some examples. Fear caused by a bad economy. Layoffs at work. The threat of losing your boyfriend or a girlfriend that you probably never should have been dating in the first place. They'll tempt you to take matters into your own hands and stop trusting the Lord. That's not how we live. Okay? If we're going to be like the people in the world, then I'm going to stop. Why do we need pastors? If you're going to attack me for what I believe, then why do you, you want me to quit and join your crowd? That's what you, I guess that's what you want. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen because I have an assignment. I don't know why God called me. I was a student at the University of South Carolina Upstate in Spartanburg, minding my own business, a computer science major, and then for some reason God called me and said, I want you to preach like this to my people. I don't know why he did it, but I'm committed to the assignment and I'm committed to God, and I'm going to preach what thus says the Lord. What thus says the Lord. Because that's who we listen to. I think... Because if you listen to anybody else, they're going to try to get you to think their way. And you got to be able to say, no, no, no. I understand why you're saying what you're saying, but that's not what I believe. This is what thus says the Lord. Let God be true and every man a liar. So here's my challenge. You get a tight grip on what you believe in Jesus and never let it go. Put a vice grip on it. Let me say something to you. I want you to grab a hold of this. Everybody in this room, if you're saved, you're born again. You should possess A strong inner assurance of spiritual realities. Are you hearing me? You should possess a strong, not a weak, a strong inner assurance. This is what I believe. These are the things that are real to me. My mother taught unto him. My godly father taught My, my, my teachers in children's church. My youth pastor. My pastor. This is what I read in the word of God. This is what I know to be true, and I am assured of these things. So be fully persuaded about Jesus. Be fully persuaded about your theology. And if someone offers you something that counters sound doctrine or presents a different gospel or a different Savior, don't entertain it. Don't change your mind. You may not be a deep theologian, but you know the basics. Stick with the basics. Reminds me of a story I heard years ago of an uneducated man who encountered a very educated man. The uneducated man was saved and born again. God had done really tremendous things in his life. The uneducated, the educated man was a skeptic and an atheist, really did not like God and Christianity. When he found out that this guy was saved, somehow he found out he just thought it was open season on on the little guy. And so for 15 minutes, he rips into this guy using $12 vocabulary words, and it's just cutting him up one side and down the other, telling him how stupid he is and what he believes is foolish and and, and how all of that is a crutch and just blistering this guy with with his education and his theories and his and the old guy just stood there and took it. And when he got done, he was pretty smug. He said, what do you think about God now, huh? What do you think about all that? And the man looked at him, and this is what he said. He said, sir, he said, I'm not as smart as you. I don't have the education you have. He said, I sure don't have the vocabulary you have. I, he said, I can't come back and argue with you. He said, I don't have a means to come back and argue challenge what you've said to me he said let me tell you what I do now he said before I came to Jesus I was the worst drunk alcoholic you ever seen in your life before I came to Jesus I was mean I was mean to my wife my kids I terrified them I mistreated them people said I was a mean you wouldn't have liked me there was nothing redeemable about me but somebody told me about Jesus and somebody told me the gospel and I went to a church and went to the altar and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And sir, I can't explain it to you. All I know is something happened in that moment. Something changed in me. Something's different about me. I don't touch alcohol. I don't, I've never had another drop of alcohol. I'm kind to my wife and my kids. My marriage is strong. My children know I love them. People tell me I'm a person of grace and mercy and kindness. Sir, I can't come back to you with arguments. But here's what I do know. God made me something different than what I was before. He changed my life and nothing you can say can change that fact and will ever change my mind about Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Leah's parents Jim and Rachel tally, they uh they you know the whole family sings. Good gracious and when we get together at Christmas, sometimes Joel will get the keyboard out and the sound system, we'll just sing. Maybe some of you have seen us on, on the internet. Jim, he'll get it and put us on Facebook. Good Lord, we got a concert going on at the house. But, but sometimes, well, every once in a while, Jim and Rachel go over and get the microphone, start singing, and there's a song that Jim and Rachel sang for years. They traveled to churches, and they would sing, and I'm not gonna sing it, but here's the words. They say, well, you know, my Jesus saved me the very moment he forgave me, took away my heavy burdens, and he gave me peace within. Satan can't make me doubt it. It's real, and I'm going to shout it. I was there when it happened, and I guess I ought to know. And I think that's a pretty good song that if somebody or something comes along and tries to get you to question your salvation, you just look back at him and say, you weren't there. You don't know what I was, and you don't know what God did for me, but I was there when it happened, and I'm not the same. God touched me and changed my life. I ought to know I was there when it happened. Hallelujah. Be confident in what you know and believe. And then you maintain your confidence by enduring. You keep on believing what you know is true. And you live like you know it's true. how How do I maintain my confidence in the Lord? You live right. You do the will of God. Do what God wants, not what you want. If what you want is going to take you down the wrong path, it's the wrong thing, you don't do it. That's how you endure. say, what if it cost me? Do it anyway. You know, people that have done the right thing, lost their job, lost their best friend. Okay, but you know what? You do it anyway. You do the right thing. You obey regardless of the outcome. The Bible says the just, the saved, the born again, those who are righteous, the just shall live. It's a lifestyle, see, by faith. Every day we're just trusting God. Every day we're maintaining, see, maintaining my God. I don't believe when I got saved and then I just don't have to worry about it. No, every day it's a battle. You fight the good fight. if You say, do you have to fight? Yeah. Well, if I have to take up the armor of God and the sword of the spirit, I guess there's a fight coming. We don't put it on to walk in a parade. You put it on to fight. You got to fight the good fight. Faith is a lifestyle reflected in your obedience to Christ. That's confidence. But then the writer went on to say, but if anyone draws back, God said, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's a lack of endurance. When you draw back, and, y'all, you can draw back. Don't, but you can. When you stop persisting, when you compromise your faith, that's when you're starting to draw back. And there are too many people that draw back when they face the slightest opposition, or the slightest persecution, just the slightest. Somebody says something to you. You really believe that? You really think that? I don't agree with you. Uh, Let me help you with that. Say, okay, I don't agree with you. So I guess we'll agree to disagree. Okay? That's what you do. You just have to say, we'll agree to disagree. But you don't cower. Ooh. No, you hold true. What if they're smarter than me? doesn't matter. You know more than them. I do? Yeah, you, you do. Sometimes it's not what you believe. No, it's who you know. Paul said, I know whom I have believed. You might be smarter than me, but I'm, I'm more connected than you are. Everybody thinks the smartest person in the room is the person that's going to make it. Sometimes it's the guy that knows more people who can pick up a phone, make a phone call. You're still looking for a job, and he's already in executive level. How'd you do that? Just Made a phone call. Who'd you call? None of your business. It's who you know. Listen to me. We're laughing. But I'm trying to tell y'all. You may not know everything. You may not know soteriology and pneumatology and angelology and demonology and, and all those other ologies of theology. Of, of theology. You may not be able to do grammatical, hermeneutical, historical, contextual analyses and lexical, syntactical analyses on your studies of the Bible. Don't worry about that. Just know Jesus. Just stay connected to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Be able to get on your knees and pick up the phone, if you will, through prayer and talk to him anytime. Well, we don't believe that. We believe this, this, this. People of the world say all these humanistic things. You sit there and I just look at him and I say, You done? That's the stupidest bunch of junk I've ever heard in my life. What's your answer? God. God did it. God did it. Oh, you're stupid and simple-minded. Maybe, but I know him. Do you? Where are you headed? Know where I'm headed. You know. Well, I don't believe in that. You're willing to take that bet? You just got to, see, you don't have to be fancy. You don't have to be, I'm educated, but you don't have to be educated. Just, you know, the most intimidating person in the world is a person who is convinced of what they know. I've walked into rooms, and, I, and, I, and I'm not trying to say this, but I've walked into rooms with all these high powered business people and people, you know, and they're all, they're a bunch of alpha males, and they're all just, you know, marking their territory, threatening And I just walk in the preacher. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, you know, I said, I'm a pastor. But I don't. I don't. I just walk like this, and I look them in the eye, and I walk around the room, and I shake hands, and all. And they they don't know what to do with that, because I'm not a power player. See. Well, I am, but in the kingdom of God. But the point is, I've learned. Somebody taught me. God, him, Bobby Johnson taught me. You don't ever. You don't ever drop your head to anybody. First of all, because you're a child of the King. And then, as a pastor, I don't drop my. I I just look them in the eye, shake my hand, just. And, and the most, you want to intimidate, uh, guys, you may tell you intimidate a group of men, a bunch of alpha males, just walk in the room, be confident, but not cocky. They don't know what to do with that. I'm telling you, from experience, just walk in, just be yourself, walk around. They're waiting for you to mark your territory. You don't, you just walk around the room. I'm not marking a territory, I've, I've already claimed the whole room. I can walk anywhere and talk to any of y'all, because you put your pants on just like me. See, you're no better than me, and I'm no worse than you. See, you, listen, I'm just telling you that. I'm not, I'm not being cocky, okay, all right? I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is I had a man teach me that. Thank God for a man that because Otherwise, I would have been, been the guy intimidated. I grew up around truck drivers and, and farmers. When I got around business people and executives and lawyers and doctors, I was intimidated Till a guy named Bobby Johnson had to teach me, stop being intimidated. You're a man of God you're a professional just like them, you know as much or more about your subject as they do theirs. I've gone on a rabbit trail. I went out to eat with, but maybe this will help you. I went out, because some of you may get intimidated and then you close up about your faith. I, I went and had, we had a heart surgeon. John Kahn was a heart surgeon. He cut you open and did bypasses, went to our church. I was at Greenville Memorial Hospital, which is now Prisma, but I call it Greenville Memorial Hospital. And we were, we were in there. I was visiting people, and Dr. Kahn comes around the corner. Hey, Pastor Chris, how you doing? I said, I'm good. He said, hey, it's lunchtime. Can I take you to lunch? And I almost passed out. I'm a youth pastor. Youth pastors don't go to lunch with cardiologists. We just go to lunch with other youth pastors or youth. And I wanted to get out of it so bad, and I said, uh, nothing. Come on, I'll take you to lunch. And I had to go to lunch with a cardiologist. I was scared. First thing he did, he said, you ever been back in a heart, heart lab area where they do heart, you know, all that, the cath labs? You ever been? I said, No. He said, Come on, I want to show you what I do. And he took me back, and I'm back there in the room, and he's running film through when they do it. He's showing me that, and there, the blockages. Let me show you what I see. See here, and there's, a, see the diarrhea. And he said, There's a blockage here and this. And I'm just fascinated by all this. And I'm thinking, I've got to go to lunch with this guy. And we go to lunch, and we sit down, we get our food, and I'm thinking, He's going to want to talk about medical things, and I'm going to have to fake my way through this. I don't, I know pneumonia. I don't know much else. I'm just trying to figure out what can I talk about this guy. And we talked for a few minutes, and then, for the rest of the meal, he asked me Bible questions, and theological questions, and wanted to know about God and go deeper in the Lord. And we just... and about halfway through, you know how the little cartoon light bulb goes over your head, ding. And then halfway while well, I'm talking to him and I'm giving him, I'm giving these answers, little light bulb, ding. And I went, this man that I am intimidated by and respect because of his vast medical knowledge is sitting here respecting me because of my vast biblical knowledge, and when I would go to him with a heart problem, he's coming to me with spiritual issues. I don't know what, and it's just the light bulb went on. That day was like a landmark for me. Listen, you don't have to have all the answers, but you just gotta know the answer. You can talk about him, that's all. Just talk about him. My God, I feel the anointing to preach i got to quit. I'm making this sermon way too long. Y'all all right? Y'all okay? Am I boring you? Y'all all right? All right, so here's the thing. It's my last point. Your confidence in Jesus and your endurance will pay off one day. You just keep living for the Lord. Serve the Lord. The writer said, do not cast away your confidence. Listen to me. This is the word of God. It has great reward, right? That's what your Bible says. It has great reward. And literally in the Greek it says, God will compensate you for your faithfulness. How many of y'all like compensation? You don't raise your hand. Come on, there's something wrong with you. You know, there are people in church that will never raise their hand. Jesus would show up, would you like me to take you to heaven right now? ain't raising my hand. Wouldn't raise it for Pastor Chris? Mm-mm, ain't raising for you. Get your hand up, okay? I love compensation. You, listen, watch this. You go to work on Monday. You work all day. You're giving them your talents, your knowledge, your services, your abilities, right? You go home. You come back the next day. You're faithful. You're enduring Tuesday, Wednesday. You're you're having confidence in them. You're trusting them that if you work for them, they're going to do something for you. So you just keep serving them and coming in, and Friday gets here, and at the end of that day, you say, okay, I've endured this place (laughs) for five days. It's time for some compensation, and they give you a paycheck, or every two weeks, or once a month. But do you see what I'm saying? You listen with the same kind of determination and commitment every day. You you listen. Do you have to put up with some people you don't like at work? Do you do you have something to get on your nerves? Huh? Do you do you do you sometimes just say, "I've had a great day at work," and the other days I had a horrible day at work? Okay, all right. Listen, but you keep going. Why? Because you want that compensation. Now, you ought to live for Jesus and serve Jesus for a whole lot of reasons. Okay? A whole lot of reasons. Good reasons. If anything, just because he saved you. If he never does another thing for you, you ought to live for him. But I'm going to tell you, it's okay to say, I'm going to endure this world and live this life and put up with this stuff and put up with being picked on and teased and. And all the things that people say and attack me, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it all. I'm just going to keep showing up to work for Jesus. Because one of these days, there's going to be a payday someday in glory. There's a payday coming. There's a payday coming. What is your compensation? When Jesus returns, he will come for you and take you home to be with him forever. Does anybody in this building still believe Jesus is coming again? Y'all believe it? He's coming came the first time. It's about to be uh, Christmas. We're going to put your hands up. Talking about the first time he came, right? Right? He's coming again. And he's coming, listen to me, he's coming for people that are faithful. He's coming for people that are enduring. He's coming for people that are confident and trusting him and not giving in or giving up. Matthew 24, 13, listen to this. He that endures to the end shall be saved. you got to go all the way. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I got this this week just reading my own personal Bible study. Revelation 22.12, Jesus said, and behold, I am coming quickly. Watch this, and my reward is with me. What did we just read? Do not cast away your confidence, for it has great reward. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Y'all, with all due respect to veterans, so just stay with me here. I'm making a point. To all who serve, God bless you, I have the deepest, utmost admiration for you. But just let me make this little point. We are not like the guy who goes into the army, serves his three-year stint, and then says, I want out, give me my discharge. Nothing wrong with that. If you served your three years, praise God, you, that's awesome. But That's not what we do in the army of the Lord. We're lifers. We stay on the battlefield. We, we fight until the battle is fought and the war is won. I want to tell you a story. It's a true story. If you don't believe me, Google it but not right now. I already Googled it. It was fascinating. You can watch the the news clips and everything, the, the, the video clips of the news. In 1980, a young lady named Rosa Ruiz entered the Boston Marathon. That's her right there. She started the race looking great, running great. And then she crossed the finish line before any of the other women, because they, they separated by gender, she's breaking all kinds of records, looking like that. She came across, see the, the officers, they have her, they're carrying her across the finish line. She's exhausted. Broke all these records. People were astounded. It's fascinating. The news reporter was interviewing her, but the news reporter said, now, you know, we, we, we missed you in all the checkpoints. Somehow, we missed you, but it's fascinating what you've done, and she's asking her questions. Something seemed off. If you watch the, the, the interviews, just something seems off. So they started doing investigation. And here's what Rosa Ruiz did. She started the race, got partway through, left the race, got on the Boston subway for 16 miles, got off the subway, got back into the route, and crossed the finish line. When her cheating was exposed, of course, she was immediately disqualified. And the lady who did actually run the Boston Marathon was crowned as the champion. The reason I tell you that story is because perhaps you have started the Christian life, but somewhere along the way, you've left it and you've jumped on the subway. You've compromised. You've folded in. You think that maybe you could still go to heaven, cross the finish line, but you're not going to endure and you're not going to be confident in your faith. You just sort of wing it, maybe hope on a prayer, get in on your mom and daddy's religion or something. The problem is, when you stand before God, he's already done investigation he knows what you've done. He knows that you didn't follow the rules. He knows that you didn't stand for what you believe. He knows that you didn't remain faithful to Christ, and he's going to say to you, You lose. Do you really want to do that? No. I think I'm standing in front of a church full of people that says, Pastor, I don't want to get on the subway. I just want to stay on the way, keep running until I cross the finish line. Y'all, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you just got to keep running. Some of us are closer to the end than others. but you just got to keep running. Now is not the time to throw in the towel. Now is not the time to play games with God. Because we are living in the last days of the last days. And I'm telling you, Jesus could return at any moment. And if you keep watching the news and see what's happening out there, y'all, there ought to be something stirred into your spirit that says, I believe he could come at any moment. And I'm praying he will. And I want him to find you steadfast and faithful when he comes. Is that the way you feel? I want you to stand with me all over this church. Just hold your confidence. Those of you that are young, listen to me. Don't you believe anything this world tells you. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Jesus is the only person who can save you. Don't believe what the world tells you. You can be saved, but you can live like you are still in sin. Listen to the preacher. Are you listening? The world's going to tell you oh, you can be saved, but you can still do and talk and act like we do. No, 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 no. Be not conformed to this world. Don't let them press you into their mold, but be transformed. Transform people don't act and do like people in the world or like you used to be before you got saved. I mean, if you're not, if, if there's no transformation, then what's the point? Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We think differently. We, we have to be reprogrammed. I hit my thumb with a hammer. I don't cut loose with a bunch of cuss words. Might think them. But I have to stop him. And just go, ah. One man had put a cuss word in his pocket and he was playing golf with a guy. And the guy would miss, miss a putt and he'd, he'd just look desperate. He'd pull that cuss word out and say, Here. Let him look at it. He put it back in his pocket. I don't recommend that. can do better than that, right? We can do better than that. Don't let anyone steal what is rightfully yours through the saving work of Jesus Christ. There's, listen, There's nothing in this world that's worth it. It's not. There's not. And there are some things, only a few things, that are worth sticking with for all of your life. One of them is Jesus. The other one is your spouse. Till death do us part. So we're going to make it. Are we going to make it? Come on, are we going to make it? Huh? Come on, are we going to make it? I want to hear it. Not going to give in, not going to give up, not going to compromise. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.